if you've ever had a computer virus that infected your computer, you will understand the misery that's associated with that infection. <laughs> computer virus is actually a computer program. It's a program that is designed to damage our computers. But the insidious part about these computer viruses is that they spread from computer to computer. They're not just limited to one. They destroy files. They steal information. They send malicious emails to those on your mailing list. As I said, having experienced that myself, I know how painful and how grieving that is. Now, to protect our computers against these viruses, there is an antivirus program. And even the antivirus program, you can't just put it in your computer and then you kind of assume it's going to be, everything's going to be fine. You literally have to stay constantly updated. It has to be constantly brought up to speed. It has to be constantly watched. I want to talk to you about another virus that the Apostle Paul is talking about here in the epistle to Titus, particularly chapter 1, verses 10 to 16. Paul is warning Titus about that virus, that spiritual virus. It's a spiritual virus that threatens to invade lives, threatens to invade families, it threatens to invade churches, it threatens to destroy lives. It threatened to neutralize the power and the preaching of the cross. That virus is of false teachers and false teaching. Of course, now, because we have radio and television, internet, and the speed of communication, that false teaching can spread faster than you can even imagine. Here in chapter 1, verses 10 to 16, the Word of God gives us an antivirus program. <laughs> Here the Word of God tells us about how to virus-proof your life, your home, your families, and the church. In fact, Paul gives that same antivirus program to Timothy that he gives to Titus, and he gives it to Timothy twice. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he said, The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and teach things that are taught by demons. In 2 Timothy 5, 3, Paul said, he describes these false teachers who spread this false virus, this heinous virus among Christians. He said, having the form of godliness, but they deny its power, have nothing to do with them. Question, how do you recognize that spiritual virus? How do you guard against these spiritual viruses that are spreading so fast in our culture? What does he mean by saying that these folks have the appearance or the form of godliness but they deny its power. It means that these people only give the appearance of godliness and being spiritual. Then they use texts from the Scripture out of context here and there, and they sprinkle them around in order to buttress their falsehood. But in close examination, you discover that you will never hear about the cross of Jesus Christ the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the resurrection, the reality of heaven and hell, 
or that salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. They project the appearance of godliness. They pay lip service to godliness, but they deny the very power of that godliness that can only come from Jesus. So if you would turn with me, please, to Titus chapter 1, verses 10 to 13. In verse 10, he said, For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers. In fact, Paul knows experientially what he's talking about. Every town he went to, whether it be Corinth or Ephesus, every town where he went and preached the gospel, and he proclaimed that Jesus and Jesus alone saves from sin and eternal destruction, many people came and believed the Lord Jesus Christ. They received forgiveness of sins, and they have received the assurance of spending eternity in heaven with him. But in every town, as the church begins to flourish, all these false teachers were nabbing at the heels of the Apostle Paul. Opposition arose. Read about it in the book of Acts. Everywhere he went, opposition arose. And that opposition came from the outside of the church and from the inside of the church. From outside of the church, they say, no, 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 no. Jesus is not the only way. There are many ways to God. From inside the church, they said, no, 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 Jesus, yes, but Jesus plus something else, keeping of the ceremonial law, circumcision, or whatever it may be. And so he knows what that is like. Jesus himself, of course, warns us against those people. In Matthew seven twenty-one. he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But who will enter the kingdom of heaven? Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Please hear me right. Those who rebel against the authority of the Scripture, those who deny the inerrancy of the Scripture, those who try to modify or improve on God's Word, they are not rebelling only against God's Word. They are rebelling against God Himself. There is no such thing as a godly rebel. I know that was fashionable in some circles. Yeah, godly. There's no such thing. Godliness demands obedience to God. Rebellion against God's truth is a virus that is infecting many a church today. And that is why Paul calls them empty talkers. In fact, in the words of Shakespeare, full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Ah, but they are so captivating. They are so persuasive. They are so smooth talkers. Today there is a major movement among the evangelical churches known as the Emerging Church Movement. Let me tell you about it. The Emerging Church main philosophy is the rejection of the certainty of the Bible. One of the leaders by the name of Brian McLaren puts it this way. Let me quote. You must drop any affair you may have with certainty. Another one by the name of Tony Jones. He said, we must stop looking for some objective truth when we delve into the text of the Bible. The problem is this. Hear me right, please. When we blur the edges 
of God's truth. We attack the very authority of God's Word. And when we attack the very authority of God's Word, we are rebelling against God Himself and the authority of God over us. They often say, we can't be certain about the virgin birth or the the miracles of Jesus or the resurrection. These are just mere narratives. They are only comforting allegories. Their leaders teach that Christianity has shown a pervasive disdain to other religions of the world, such as Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and atheism. They continue. Christians should view other religions as dialogue partners and even collaborators. Now, my beloved friends, let me tell you something. I went back to the Word of God, and I searched in vain to find one single instant where God said to His people, you shall become dialogue partners or collaborators with the Canaanite religion. You shall be collaborators with Baal and the worshippers of Baal. You shall be collaborators with the Babylonians or the Persians or the Romans or the Greeks. I couldn't find it. Instead, God's Word is very clear. Thou shall have no other God before me. And the Word of God, God Himself tells the Christian believers, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship can light have with darkness? Having said that, I want you to listen to me, please, with your heart and with your ears. Surely you know, surely you know, that I have deep love for non-believers, for the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Muslims and the atheists, uh, that I have deep love for these people. What do you think I'm doing every waking moment in planning and working and, and spending the hours trying to share the light of Jesus Christ with them? We don't have an option but to love the non-believers. That is the command of Jesus. And if we have no love for these who are lost, then we are not obedient to Jesus. So the question is not loving the non-believers. That's not negotiable. That's very different from collaborating with other religions. Jesus did not say, you shall collaborate with other religions, and that will set you free. I can't find that in my Bible. Jesus said that only if you know the truth, and the truth is Jesus, and He is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You shall know Jesus who is the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's what I found in my Bible. How do we deal with these people who are infecting many a church with their falsehood? Verse 11 gives you the answer. They must be silenced. They must be silenced. Now, the Greek word that is used here means to put a a horse's bridle on them, (laughs) a bridle on the mouth, supposed to keep the horse's mouth closed. Why? Because these false teachers cause division in the families. They cause parents against their children and children against their parents. They cause a husband against his wife and a wife against her husband. By contrast, those who are pursuing godliness, they seek the unity of the family, not division. Those who are pursuing godliness will bring wholeness to the family, not division. Those who are pursuing godliness 
seek harmony in the family. They create a loving environment. They create a loving atmosphere. Here's a fact. Sin will always divide, but the Holy Spirit will unite. Then in verses 12 and 13, Paul takes the words of their own Cretan poet. This is not somebody from the outside. They say he's prejudiced. He's racist. He is this or that. He's, he's their beloved son. He's the son of Crete, a very famous poet. Poet laureate of Crete, if you like, that island of Crete where Titus was. And he was describing the natural state of these people before Christ. Their natural state, their old state before they came to Christ. And he said, that must be silenced. But it shouldn't surprise us that the Cretans, or anybody for that matter, be like that in their natural state before they come to Christ. Listen, I can tell you, they are no different from my natural state before Christ. And that is why I often quote the great preacher of yesteryears, Charles Spurgeon, who said that talking people who always talk about grace, grace, grace. He said, the grace that does not transform a life is not the grace of Jesus. But regardless of our characteristics before we came to Christ, regardless of our past wickedness, regardless of our past dishonesty, regardless of our past indulgences, regardless of our past undisciplined life, regardless of our past lying and cheating, regardless of our past laziness, all of that must be transformed by coming to Jesus Christ. Naturally, it will be transformed. Ah, but that's just the beginning. There are some people who said, okay, I come to Jesus, I've signed the decision card, I came down the aisle, and they go out and live like the devil, and said, well, I'm saved. No, they're not. <laughs> doesn't stop there. Like I told you in the last message, pursuing godliness is like in a marriage. You say, I do, and you keep on doing <laughs> for the rest of your life. And that's the same thing when you come to Christ, you say, Come into my life, forgive my sins, and He comes in by His presence of His Holy Spirit, and He begins to transform you day by day by day. As we pursue godliness in this godless world, we are daily to give up lying and tell the truth. Why? Do you know that lying has always been associated with fear? But all fear is gone when you come to Christ. All shame is washed by His blood. All of guilt is covered by His blood. All of our past pain and agony has been forgiven. All we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Amen belongs here. See, that's just the beginning of the process, not the end of it. And that's what pursuing godliness is all about. After you come to Christ, and if anyone here today who has never come to Jesus Christ, surrendered your life and received His forgiveness and eternal life, you can do that today. But after you come to Christ, there's still residue of past sins, residue of the old nature. And that continue being put down day by day as you put on Christ day by day. In fact, every command in the New Testament, it is in the continuous tense. It doesn't say, well, you've done it and that's it. No, continue on putting off the old nature. Continue on putting on the new nature. It's a continuous thing. It's a daily thing, daily washing, daily cleansing, daily growing in Christ. That's what the pursuit of godliness is all about. Not to modify or nullify or unplug the searchlight of the Word of God so it doesn't reveal to you your natural condition. No. 
Allow the searchlight of God, the Holy Spirit, on a daily, sometimes even moment-by-moment basis to shine the light. Why? In order that may expose any lurking sin. Get it out in the light. Deal with it. Because that is, beloved, the secret of blessing. You're agreeing with God. And God says, when you agree with me, I'll forgive you. I'll bless you. I said in the last message, godliness is not sinlessness. Sinlessness will be in heaven. I can't wait. (laughs) But I will tell you how you know if you are pursuing godliness. It's very simple. The speed by which you recognize sin in your life. The speed by which you recognize sin in your life. I know when I was young Christians, it would take me days sometimes, and then i come under conviction in a service or something, and i repent, and, and then, you know, slowly but surely, i repent on a daily basis. Do you know now, the moment my mouth is open with the wrong word, immediately the Holy Spirit convicts me. Seconds. Not days or months. Seconds. That's how you know you're pursuing holiness. You recognize your sin immediately. The problem with these false teachers who have been infecting the minds of believers is that they've never been converted to Christ. They've never been truly converted to Christ. They've studied the Bible so that they would know how to tear it down. (laughs) Verse 15, their conscience is defiled. They have corrupt mind. And a corrupt mind does not understand of experienced purity. He said, purity? Yep, that's what he said here. (laughs) Those of us who are pursuing godliness, we know that God the Holy Spirit keeps on purifying us day by day, washing us day by day, cleansing us day by day, forgiving us day by day. And that's why God said through Isaiah in 118, he said, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. You see, in this pursuit of godliness, we become more like Christ every day. Every day. More and more. How do I know that I'm becoming like Christ every day? Well, I can testify to you that I'm more like Christ this year than last year. And last year, I was more like Christ than the year before. And if God spares my life and I live another year by His power and His grace, I will want to become like Christ more next year than this year. That's what the pursuit of godliness is all about. Here it is. More of Christ and less of me. More of Christ and less of me. Can you say that with me? More of Christ How? by continuously allowing the Word of God to dwell in me, by continuously allowing the Word of God to hold me accountable, by continuously allow the Word of God to be like a mirror in front of me, by continuously allowing the Word of God to reflect reality to me, not as I want them to be, but as they really are, by continuously allowing the Word of God to be my antivirus program, by continuously allowing the Word of God to destroy all foreign viruses that come to try to deceive me. That's why Psalm 119 verse 9 said, How can a young man keep his way pure? Ah, 
by living according to your word. And then goes on to verse 11 of that same psalm. He said, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Beloved, listen to me. Either the word of God is going to keep you from sinning or sin is going to keep you from the word of God. Paul said to Titus, to the pure, all things are pure. Ooh, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. All things are pure? Yeah. What does he mean? To the pure, everything is pure. It means the following. Listen carefully, please. It means that sex is pure to the pure-minded. You say, how come? Because it is in its rightful place in a heterosexual marriage. Money is pure to the pure-minded. How come? Because we use money as our servant to serve God and to serve other people, not the other way around. And Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How? You see, in the pursuit of godliness, the Word of God purifies our hearts, opens our eyes to see God. Ah, listen carefully. To see God as He reveals Himself, not the way we want to perceive Him, not the way we want to create Him in our own image, not the way we want to think of Him. Verse 16. Paul gives Titus a spiritual dichotomy. They claim to know God, just like James said. They say they have faith. They claim to know God, but by their very action, by their very lives, they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for doing anything good. Question. Who is Paul talking about? He is talking about anyone who uses their claim to Christianity to deceive people. And that deception can be all very subtle. Satan is extremely subtle. And I thought of how can I illustrate this to you, the subtlety of Satan and how he destroys and how he works. And I thought of a story that took place back in the days of the Soviet Union, when the power of the Soviet Union and And in the factories, which they were all run by governments, owned by governments, they were suffering from a lot of petty thievery. The workers in the factories, they would steal little things here and little things there and hide them. And so what the government did, they put a guard in front of every factory, in front of every one of those places, right at the entrance, for one purpose— His task is to scrutinize the workers as they were leaving the workplace to make sure they're not stealing anything from the factory. And so there was a sawmill outside of Leningrad. Now it's St. Petersburg. And there in that factory, there was a worker by the name of Petrovich. Petrovich was coming out of the factory one day with a wheelbarrow. And that wheelbarrow was filled with sawdust and wood chips and things like that, useless stuff. And he was walking out. God said, stop it, Petrovich. What are you hiding there? Nothing. Only sawdust, wood chips, useless stuff. He said, there is no way. You're not hiding something in there. Tip it over. So he tips it over. And the guard will kick it with his foot and try to find something in a tool or something is stolen. There was nothing. He said, okay, pile it back, take it, go. The next day, at quitting time, Petrovich 
again coming out with a wheelbarrow filled with sawdust and wood chips. And he did this day after day. And the guard would tip it and look, and there was nothing there. The guard was absolutely convinced that this guy's hiding something, but he couldn't figure it out. He tried, he couldn't. Finally, he said to him, I said, I'll tell you what, Petrovich, level with me. Tell me what you're stealing, and I won't turn you in. Petrovich said, all right, wheelbarrows. (laughs) (laughs) Beloved, the devil has been doing the same thing in infiltrating the minds and the hearts and the lives and our homes and stopping us from pursuing godliness. He keeps us busy looking at some superfluous things here or there. He keeps us busy focusing on some worship-style preference. He keeps us busy picking on each other, scrutinizing the wood chips and the sawdust while he's smuggling wheelbarrows. We spend hours in front of television and the Internet and few moments in reading the Word of God. We read all kinds of sorted stuff and sorted material while we speed read the Word of God. We can spend three or four hours in a ball game, but if the church goes five minutes over time, we become antsy. We get more grief when our team loses than over the lost people are going to eternity in hell what the devil is doing. He's stealing the wheelbarrows and leaving us focusing on the sawdust and the wood chips of life. Beloved, in the pursuing of godliness, our actions speak far louder than our words. Shall we pray together? Our loving Father, These are your children. You love us dearly. Jesus died on a cross to redeem us. He pursued us and brought us to himself so that we pursue him and grow in godliness and in Christ-likeness. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Bring us to that conviction which will produce the fruit of repentance, not false guilt. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Transform our lives and help us to daily, moment by moment, be transformed into the image of your beloved Son. Father God, there is no way any of us can know another person's mind, but you know the mind of each one of us. And that is why you're the only one who can deal with us. Speak to us. It's your will for us to be victorious. And therefore, I pray in the name of Jesus that we put down anything that's holding us back in chains and set us free. For Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.